Flyers Daily with Jason Mertides. It is a Monday edition of Flyers Daily. And of course, on a Monday, we bring him in every Monday. He's got the weekly hit. It's the segment. It's his spot from NHL.com, PhiladelphiaFlyers.com, and HockeyBuzz.com. And happy birthday to him. It's Bill Meltzer. Thank you, Jason. Uh, it's been a fantastic weekend for me. And, you know, a lot, a lot of great stuff coming up with rookie camp starting, rookie games, NHL camp the next week. It's here. Yeah, it is here. You know, it, it's good that you have your birthday when you do because it's right before all the craziness kind of begins in the couple – you know, kind of a couple of weeks before a season starts so you can celebrate it properly. Mine's March 30th. So a lot of times you at least hope it's the midst of a playoff push. <laughs> oh yeah, for, for sure. Yeah. You're, you're right in the stretch drive. So mm-hmm. great, right around playoff time, but we're going to start, but I have the, the top 20 questions, question marks heading into this flyer season. We're going to get to that uh, after we get to this first part, because John Tortorella has made the rounds uh, quite a bit since he's been hired, obviously. Initially, when he was hired, the introductory press conference was something that you and I talked about. We both loved the things he had to say in it. I did a lengthy, I think, 40-minute sit-down with John uh, for this podcast and the video on YouTube, on the Flyers' YouTube channel as well, if you want to check it out and missed it. Um, But he was on NHL Network Radio last week. Jim Gordon, Boomer, um, usually does uh, the point. In the summertime, he does team previews, and he was doing the Flyers' team preview, and they always get a guest on this occasion. He had... John Tortorella on. So I want to play this audio and get your reaction to it because there's a couple things about it that really jumped out at me. So here's John Tortorella on NHL Network Radio with Jim Boomer Gordon. Claude Giroux is not there. Uh, It was his team for a decade. He had a little stopover in Florida. Now he's in Ottawa. What are your thoughts on the evolution of the room post leader like that? And uh, is it important in your mind at any point that the Flyers name a new captain? Uh, let's go with the latter question. I, I am in no right to name a captain. Um, so that, that's that. And as far as the room, um, uh, I have major concerns about the room as far as uh, I've spent the, the summer going back and forth. I live in New York and I go back and forth to Philly trying to relocate there, but spent some time in the office talking to players, talking to personnel, uh, talking to Chuck, all, all the front office. I have major concerns about uh, what goes on in there. And um, before we even step on the ice, uh, situations and standards and accountability in the room uh, is is forefront. And uh, you can't get squat down on the ice until you get your room straightened out. And I think we have a little bit of work to do there. See, first of all, Bill, it's nice to know that Tort listens to the podcast. Because he used the two words in that one sentence that we talked about last week, which was uh, about culture and standard <laughs> and accountability. But he said it twice. He said this in the first part, I have major concerns about the room. And then he reiterated, I have major concerns about what goes on in there. And I found this a little surprise. I'll get your thoughts on it and I'll kind of expel mine as well. Well, um, you know, when, let, let's take it back first to exit day before Torch was hired. And it wasn't hard to read between the lines that there were, you know, there, there were divisions in the locker, you know, and not everybody was on the same page. Um, I, I think the one who put it the best truthfully was Cam Atkinson. And, you know, I, I, I was the one that asked the question and I, and I asked Cam, 
Well, you know, the Flyers brought in a lot of guys who'd been leaders in other teams. You know, they've been captains. They've been alternate captains, whatever. And it's a good group of guys. I mean, nobody ever said it's a group that doesn't care. But how did the, you know, how was the team able to, or how would you say that, how successfully the, the team fared in terms of avoiding finger pointing in the room? And Cam paused a little, measured his words. He said, we did a, I'd say we did a good job. And he said, well, not a good job, a decent job in staying united as a group. When, when, he, when he stopped short of saying a good job, that tells you a lot right there. Yeah, and then okay. then he and then, and then he turned it to guys need to look in the mirror that we should all be embarrassed by what happened this year and anyway it's not embarrassed you know it's not part of the solution here and, that, and that's before he advocated towards as the next head coach which is an answer to a different question but so right away there stopping short saying we did a good job no avoiding finger pointing and that kind of thing I told you that told you right there. One of the team leaders said, "Hey, you know, we're not a we're not a united front here. We don't have the don't have the right mindset." Yeah, yeah, and I, he, yeah. I I I, picked, I I totally agree with you too because before Cam went into that press conference and met with the media, he was actually sat with me, <laughs> and we talked because at the end of the, they were kind of going through. I would either get the player for an end of season interview in Paul Holmgren's conference room after they met with the media, or if there was somebody in there, they would come to me first, and he came to me first. And when I got done taping my interview with him, I said, let me ask you about torts. And he got up and he went, walked over and he shut the door. <laughs> and then we sat down and talked because I, I knew he had something to say. And then he got a you know, glowing review of him. And the one thing that he said to me, and this was privately, and I, I'm pretty sure he's at least reiterated it publicly, kind of did with what you said. He's like, he's the kind of coach this team needs, yeah. you know, for that accountability factor. Yeah. And, and he said basically, basically the same thing. Yeah, you know, and it was a, uh, it's a guy who played for Tortorella for a number of years, a, a player who, had, you know, I, Tortorella actually himself after he was hired said, you know, there there was a process with Cam, you know, they had uh-huh. uh, they had their share of clashes early on, and now it's one of the favorite guys he's ever coached, and it just it evolved over time, and he talked about how, you know, players are going to come to come to understand why I do what I do. Yeah, and that everything is done because I care. The the one and, thing I was surprised that he did yeah. though, Bill, was he's commenting on a room that he hasn't been in. Yeah, and, and there's so been that's an interesting there, to me. There's been an evolution there too, because when he did his introductory press conference, he said, "Well, I haven't watched a single flyer game in its entirety. It's easy to throw things from the cheap seats." Yep. You know my observation from afar and, and based on some, some conversations with Chuck was that there was some splintering in the room. And that's all he said the first time. Yeah. Then he did a second interview. Uh, it was with, with Jordan Hall or with Taron Hatcher. And he took it a step further. And he said, this team isn't going anywhere until we get some divisions in the room healed. And he said that it's something that Chuck and other people in the front office and some players yeah, that, that's why I think he's willing to go as far as he is now because he's had a chance to talk, in, in most cases, face-to-face with a lot of these guys, but at least on the telephone. And now he has enough information that he's gotten a consistent message 
that he yeah. can he can go on the record and say that he has major concerns about the room, major concerns about what goes on in there. Because um, it, it's weird for a guy to comment before he's ever, ever experienced it. Yeah. And, you know, this is towards hearing it from enough guys and, and now going into camp and attacking it head on. So these players should not be surprised in any way, shape or form when he leads off his first team meeting with the room. No, for, for sure. And where he's going. <laughs> yeah. And he's, he's not afraid when he has to be, to be the common enemy. Yep. So if that's what it takes to unite the room, that's what he's going to do. Yeah. If you want to unite the room, you all want to hate me, go ahead, but we're still going to yeah. do it my way. <laughs> <laughs> that is, that is exactly the message right there. And that's, yeah. that's, that's how things are going to, are going to be done. And because he perceives there's a problem, he's, as you said, day one, first meeting. Yeah. And I, I also think that, you know, you, you talk to some people in the organization and, and apparently one of the themes during exit day, where the divisions were, were discussed. Okay. Um, one of the things they asked players individually is, can this can this be fixed? In other words, can, can this group work together, or do we have to largely break up the team? And the response is no, no, no. You know, it's nothing personal. It was just hard year, but you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. The things when a team's not winning, nobody's happy, and it just it went from there. Um, and that certainly that certainly is the hope, but it's been back to back years where the wheels have fallen off and. The energy levels dropped, and they did make quite a quite a number of changes last off season. So, there's a fundamental problem there somewhere, and I think Torts and having further conversations with key players and, and the front office got a sense that there are guys who are still not totally on the same page, and that that's that's where I think he he's upped at another notch. Um, and now now he's uh, his other interviews where he said it were all done for local local interest media outlets now he said it nationally so yeah. it's really so i guess for some people it was it was their first time hearing it but those of us who've been around the team who've been following it it didn't come in any, as any surprise at all just uh just that it's going to be issue number one you know over over and above systems even i think i mean systems mm-hmm. every coach has their systems and obviously you're a new coach implementing them is going to be part of camp um, one thing that one thing that Torts had said is he's a believer in, in battle drills in camp, and he's gonna have a lot of them. That's yeah. that's part of that whole attitude that he wants to have on the team. Um, actually, they they just did the uh, first of the Flyers just did the first episode of the uh, Beyond the Board series, and it was on Wade Allison. And I was I said, well, that that's right up your alley, the battle drills in, in camp. Yeah. Oh, I, I don't mind that a bit. Let's let's roll, bring those on. You know, yeah. but not some guys love them. Some guys just want to get through them. You know, yeah. that's it's it's not uh, some guys love to just go out and compete for space and jostle and and whatnot. And other guys, you know, they they prefer they have a shootout drill. You know, if, uh, yeah, it's just, in a way protect themselves a little bit. It, it, exactly, exactly. So, you know, Tortorella is going to try to find right from the get go who are the guys who are going to compete, who are the guys who are going to be coachable. Who are the guys that are going to insist on accountability in the room and hold themselves accountable? And he's not going to waste time on it because there really is no time to waste on it. Yeah, it's it's not even it's not even so much 
wins and losses. It re- it really is. It really is about an attitude. That's that that's the first thing he wants to implement before before systems X, X's and O's and all the rest of that. They they take nothing else away from camp. It's how they have to approach the day in and day out. I would think that he's going to find a player of pretty significant name that he's going to make an example out of. And yep. it's going to have huge effect because I don't know if he's going in with a target based on conversations that he's had, but he's going to develop a target pretty quick for a guy yep. that you know maybe has gotten away with not doing things the way he wants them done. I mean, I, I think of this, I know his, I think his son is in the military in special forces, even maybe in the army yeah, or something. Yeah. Uh, but, but I, this sounds to me like it's going to be kind of like seal training for the team. Cause it's not, you know, seal training is not just about, you know, putting your body in compromised positions. It's pushing through levels. You'd never thought you could put your body through and surviving it. And also the reliance upon your seal team. And that's what that's, I imagine what he's looking for here is like, I, I could put my life in your hands and I feel good about it. And th- that's the kind of room that he wants to put it kind of in military terms, even though I've never been in the military. But let's get to the top 20 questions. We'll get to a couple of these in this one. We'll kind of split them up over the next couple of weeks of episodes. But the question kind of what we just talked about, Bill, the note question number one, these aren't in any particular order, more of just kind of a you know stream of consciousness. But the first one I wrote down was, who fills the leadership void with Giroud no longer here? He said he's not going to name a captain immediately. Maybe because he's the coach, a, a slam dunk guy that we thought would have been the captain, maybe isn't now. And maybe a guy like Scott Lawton does get elevated and has an opportunity to wear that C. So who fills the leadership role? It's got to be multiple guys. Yeah, I, it, it's going to be uh, – it has to be by committee. Yep. Um, you know, I, I mean, I think Lawton is a viable candidate because he brings that one, – one thing, one thing I like with, with Scott Lawton is that you observe a flyer's practice – and if you didn't know who were the established veterans and who were the guys who were battling for a roster spot, you you would think that Scott Lawton is one of those guys in the bubble who has to play for his job around the year year round, and that that will resonate with uh, with Tortorella. I, I think he's going to like that aspect about Lawton, um, but I mean it could certainly end up being Sean Couturier at some point. Yep. Um, he he has the professionalism professionalism leadership by example. You know, maybe not the most vocal guy, but um, when he says something, it's often it's often the right. It's usually the right thing. Yeah. You know, um, I, I go back to something I blogged about the other day. I remember they were doing drills in in NHL camp a couple of years ago, and uh, Elaine Vigneault, who was first year head coach at that time, he decided after after rookie camp, things had been a little easy on Faraby and Frost and and Ratcliffe. So he's going to put him in. He's going to put him all day long against Couturier, Giroux, Voracek, and the kids got eaten alive. And and uh, Av was kind of joking about it afterwards. He said, "Yeah, I was standing by the net with with Lappy, and I said, well, the, these kids are getting an education yeah. out there.' And uh, and I remember, and and particularly, it was it was a physical mismatch between Frost and and Couturier, and Couturier won just about every puck on the wall, and he just killed him and killed him in the faceoff circle too. And, and he said, you know, when you're when you're in these camp situations, a you can't go easy. You know, you you, you have to you have to go and compete the same way you would in, in a game. But B, I remember I remember my first camp, one of the first days, and Peter Laviolette had me out there. You know, it was uh, it was like Briere and Hartnell, 
uh, where Huey's match up against all day long. And he said, I, I didn't have a very good day. And, you know, Danny's hand, Danny's hands were too fast. And yeah. I just thought I was playing all day trying to catch up with him. And it was something I learned from. And, you know, and then he, then he kind of talked Morgan up a little. And I thought that, that's a leader. That's what a leader does. Yeah. You know, and, and it's, uh, so he has that in him to do that. Um, but as you said, I don't, I don't think there needs to be a rush. It doesn't have to be the first day of camp. It doesn't even have to be opening day. They could rotate, they could rotate the A for a while if they want to. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, somebody emerges and that's, that's who they eventually named captain. But, but no matter, no matter who's wearing the letters, it really has to be a, a group effort. You know, Atkinson is part of it. Um, you know, uh, your experience, your, your veterans, you're going to lean on your veterans, but they need young hey, players. Kevin Hayes has got to be a big part of it. Yeah. Connecting has yeah, got to yeah. be a part of it too. Exactly. Exactly. All, all those guys who've been through, who've been through this. Yeah. Right. And, and been here through the ups and through the downs. These, these are guys who are all going to have to stand out. It would be nice if Ryan Ellis were here. Um, he's not. And we don't know, we don't know when that's going to be, if, and when that's going to be. Um, and, uh, but he could, but he had leadership experience too in Nashville. Um, here's an opportunity for a guy like Travis Sanheim, who's not a, not a talker per se, but it's an opportunity for Travis Sanheim to step up and, you know, join, join some of the, join some of the leadership element and, and push himself in that regard too. A, a lot of guys are going to have to be part of it. And yeah. the, the more they get involved, the better. Um, we, I think, I think we talked last show or show before that we talked a little bit about what have been the common elements of winning teams. And I, I love, I love picking Dave Poulin's brain whenever he's up, up here for some kind of an alumni event. And one thing he says, I, I wore the C in those teams, but, but really any number of guys in his opinion could have worn the C. It could, it could have been Mark Howe. It could have been Brad Marsh. It, it could have been, you know, Rick talk as he gained a little bit of experience. It could have been Ron Sutter at that point. Yeah. They, they had a lot of leadership on there. So when there was some kind of issue that arose and quite often those issues arose with Mike Keenan and his style of coaching, we were united. And that, that was, that was really it. That we drew strength off of one another. We all pushed one another. And, uh, you know, he said that I, I certainly appreciates the compliments he's gotten as the captain. He said, but I was just, I was part of a group. Yeah. And that, that's what you really need. You need a group. Yeah. I think sometimes we, we romanticize the C on the Jersey. Like it is only one man's job. It's never, never been just one man's job because the, it, it's the sport too. It, it's never about the individual at any level in hockey. It's always about we, not, not me you know, for the teams going forward. So let me ask you this one. This is question number two I have, and it kind of goes to Sean Couturier because in my estimation, other than goaltender, he's the most important player on this team because of all the things he can do, power play, PK, great five-on-five player. So as the players, the, the team's most important player, now post-surgery, can we see him this season scoring 25-plus goals and north of 70 points? He's got a 31-goal year, a 33-goal year. In his last full seasons, he was trending towards about a 70-point season in the 69-game lockout year. Uh, is, is that something we can, you know, almost write in ink for Sean Couturier this year coming off this surgery? Uh, I, I'll stop a little short of saying write it in ink. Yeah, But um, he had 12 points in the first 10 games last year when the Flyers were 6-2-2. Two and two. Yeah. So he was, he was over a point a game at that stage of season. And there was only a game or two after that where he – really first started 
you know, feeling the back issues. So he can he can certainly still do it. Uh, he's not even thirty years old quite yet. He's been around forever, but he'll, he'll turn thirty in, in December. Yep. But uh, yeah, so I mean, he's not he's not too old to still be play play a, a prime level player. I just anytime you even though even with how far back surgeries have come and that that kind of thing, you still worry about it. You know, some sometimes players just are not quite the same or. There's an adjustment period after that. So I have a fairly high degree of confidence that Couturier can have a typical Sean Couturier season. And part and parcel of that would be, you know, about another 25 goals. Um, 30, 30, we'll see how the playmakers around them play too. But uh, but I, I think I think that certainly is within his reach. It wouldn't surprise me if he did it. And uh to me, it's more just about staying healthy than what he can do if he is healthy. And the other thing, too, is power play is, is yeah. an area where he's gotten some points and he's been on that power play for so many years with Claude Giroux. So that brings me to the next question, Bill, because we've talked about special teams, how important they are going forward. We saw power plays this year. The NHL click at nearly 30 percent. Scoring was up and most of that damage was done on power plays. Teams were executing at just a higher level than ever before. So will the new power play under new coaching, but without Giroux, be something that is vastly improved. And Tony D'Angelo now presumably is your PP1 quarterback. Yeah. Well, uh, truthfully, it's not like the power play was doing very much with G, and it's not a, not a knock exactly. on him. It was, yeah. it was the, you know, it was, it was the team as a whole. Uh, but but last year, it took two power play goals at the final day of the season to not have the worst power play year in franchise history. Those two power play goals surpassed what they did in 67-68, the first year of franchise history, just to, to get one-tenth of a point higher than that year. In, in a year now when, as you said, I mean, you know, 20% used to be you'd be towards the top, or, and uh, not anymore. you got to be 25% and up. So, I mean, the Flyers have massive work to be done. There's, there's no, But there's nowhere to go but up is yeah. the point. You know, so... I do expect the power play to be better. Um, if they can get it even to about an 18 and a half, 19%, which would probably be a little under middle of the pack, but it would still be a big improvement. I, 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 I consider that a successful one year improvement. JVR is a guy that's gotten power play points throughout his career. I mean, he, he thrived in Toronto as a power play forward. Uh, and he's great net front presence guy still at this point in his career. We know he's productive scoring goals. So that brings us to question number four. JVR starting the year as a member of the Philadelphia Flyers. Does he finish the year as a member of the Flyers? The only way to me he finishes the year as a Flyer is if the team is overachieving to a point where whatever conditional pick, unlikely to be a first rounder regardless, Whatever conditional pick they would get would be worth less than, hey, you know what? We're we're in the hunt here. Let's push for a playoff spot. Yeah. Um, which and he's obviously playing well. Yeah, and he's and he's playing well. But um, short of that, no, I, I I'm I'd say pretty confidently that he'd be traded by the deadline. The Flyers would would eat some salary, and uh, they would get back a conditional pick. Again, I doubt it would be a first rounder. Um, but maybe a conditional second round pick, you know, or a second and a 
fourth or second or fifth or whatever the whatever the case might be. But I I don't I don't think he'll finish the year as a flyer, especially with especially because they, the Flyers will have the ability to, to take on some of the salary, which as a guy who's a free agent this summer is palatable for a contending team, particularly a contending team that wants another weapon on a power play. So he can ha- still help a team in that way. And everybody knows he'll be a solid citizen off the ice too. So, yeah. so that, yeah, that, that's a guy who I think will go to a, a playoff bound contending team, probably at the deadline. You know, again, unless the Flyers really surprise and they're, they're right there for a spot themselves. Yeah. He, he's a guy that will fit into any locker room from, a cultural standpoint. He's a, he's a great guy. And and I had him on last week and on Friday's episode, if people missed it with James and I love talking to him because he's so open-minded about the sports science things in his preparation. And you can't say the guy doesn't care. And, you know, he does run hot and does run cold. Uh, a lot of goal scorers are like that, uh, but he ends up with a decent amount of goals every year. So if they're in a position where he can be moved, then I, I think they'll end up moving him. But again, it all depends on how this season goes. It's going to be predicated on that. We get to uh, question number five here, Bill, because I, I think this is really, I've been kind of tossing in my head around this question ever since the day it was announced they were hiring Torts. And I go, okay, which players is Torts going to take an immediate liking to? The ones I wrote down, I feel like these three, I think Lawton, Couturier, and Atkinson are slam dunks that he's going to love. But I think Noah Cates could be on that list of players that he really likes. And a polarizing one where it's either going to be really bad or really good is Provorov to me. I could see him loving because Provorov is always available. He'll play hurt. He'll do whatever it takes. But we got to see about the cultural aspect of it and accountability because Provorov didn't seem to enjoy the accountability at the end of the season that some of the media members gave him. Yeah. Yeah. And I think those are all, you know, all really, really good. He's going to like Cates a lot, isn't he? Oh yeah, yeah. That, yeah he's that's, gonna like him. That, that's a, a a smart player. Yep. Low maintenance guy. Just set him out there and handle play the right way. I, I mean, honestly, I thought it was interesting. Um, after, well, very recently when San Jose hired Scott Gordon um, as an assistant, he said that he's had he's only coached two basically no maintenance players in his career. One was Patrice Bergeron, and the other was, was Oscar Lindblom. And I think Oscar, had he stayed here, would have been the kind of player that Torch would have really liked to have on his team too. But that's that's uh, that that resonates with him as that, that kind of player. I also think that you know he he likes players who bring a little physicality and, and compete to their game too. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I'm still not crazy about the term of the deal. Uh, I, I understand you know I understand other aspects of it, but. You know, Nick Delorier may be a player that he likes in his fourth line, too. So, I get the sense that John Tortorella is the reason why Nick Delorier is here. Yeah, I kind of get the same feeling. Because, so. I mean, he talked about at his introductory press conference about the scrap between Sealer and Delorier. And then he mentioned his name at another press conference or availability after that, Delorier's. And then free agency comes and he's signed. That's one to me. That's that's kind of like Vinny LeCavalier and Peter LaViolette. Lavi's the one that wanted LeCavalier here. Yeah. Now, it's a shame he got fired what three or four games into that season in LeCavalier's time here. But still, uh, sometimes the coach goes, "Hey, I really want this guy because he brings this element that I'm going to use a lot." And for for Tortorella, maybe that's Delarier and and you know the the accountability that he's going to force on the ice. 
Yeah, I, I think I think that that's exactly it. And I got I got the same sense too. Yeah. Um, you know, it doesn't doesn't mean he's gonna play 15 minutes a night. He might there might be games where he only plays eight minutes a night. But he's a guy he's gonna win his lineup. When, when he talks about when he talks about being hard to play against, he means it in a number of different ways. But one of them one of them is the physicality sense. And the Flyers are, you know, they're not especially a big team. And they haven't been a, a particularly physical team. So um, now it's going to be interesting to me. Okay, now where does Zach McEwen fit in? I, to me, it's hard to have both guys in the same lineup in today's NHL on your fourth yeah. line. He fits in the um, lineup. So, yeah, I mean, <laughs> uh, yeah, like, like, like waved and, and going to the a- AHL. Uh, he to, to me, Zach has a little bit of an uphill fight for – for a roster, unless, unless there's an injury. So. I, I totally agree. You know, I just look at some of these players. The bigger players in stature on the team, the larger framed guys, like Couturier is a big guy, very lean though. But Hayes is a big guy. Sanheim's a big man. Um, you know, Even the bigger guys don't play with a physical edge. That's right. just not the game that they play. It's not their fault. It's not like they're soft, but that's, you know, banging's not their route to be able to be an effective player, whereas Ristolainen is a big guy, plays big, plays heavy. Um, but even the guys that they've had with eyes haven't really done that. Some of the smaller guys, like Konechny's a guy who will be physical, but he's not an imposing physical presence. So let's get to one more question here uh, for the top 20 questions heading into the Flyers' 2022-23 season. And it, it's in regards to Konechny and Provorov, because they're two names that we heard quite a bit this summer. People saying, oh, Konechny's going to go, Provorov's going to go, they're going to trade him, blah, blah, blah. Um, but out of those two players, which player, Konechny or Provorov, is more likely to thrive under Torts in this new system and see them as a long-term solution-type player? Konechny and Provorov. Well, I don't think Provorov is as partner-dependent as, as it's in vogue to say. You know, Provy played well with Andrew McDonald as his partner. And you last year, even after last year, even even after Ellis went down, he and Braun for the first month of the season were really good together. Yeah. Um, but you know, it's going to take a little work for a a Provov D'Angelo pairing to click. Um, it's a couple of strong personalities there. I, I hope they mesh together well and work together well. I. Don't know. I'm not going to know that till till we see them together for a while. Yeah. So that that's where that's where I have some measure of concern. Uh, I actually think I actually think Konechny, I, I I think that Tortorella will be a good coach for Konechny. He's going to push him. Yeah, yeah. he's going to push everybody. Um, I think he's going to give him every chance to go out and succeed. And He'll have the opportunity to play, you know, as, as high in the lineup as his play merits. That there's uh, there's a lot of guys that are playing for not just not just roster spots, but they're playing for power play time. They're they're playing yeah. for lineup positioning. And I don't think Konechny has been very. I mean, I know he has been very happy with his own play overall, going back to the to the bubble, and. We saw him, we saw a, a higher level of player on a more consistent basis, right up until right up until the time of the COVID pause, and 
I think he knows that uh, this has to be the year that he really bounces back to a degree where, you know, he, he's back in the solid graces of a guy who's part of the solution going forward. Yeah. So of the two, um, again, assuming good health and, and whatnot, all the caveats you always have, I would say that, I would say TK may be the safer bet right now, but I would but I would argue that if one or the other is the more important player, strictly speaking, to yeah, the team's success, it's, it's, it's Provorov. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I could see both succeeding because, you know, I could see Torch really leaning on a guy like Provorov to play a lot of minutes, kill a lot of penalties, and, and do a lot of those things and, you know, add some offensive elements in there. I mean, he had 17 goals the one year. I think eight of them were power play goals with that big yeah. shot from the point. Yeah, he had seven even strength goals and, and eight power play goals that year uh, in the nineteen twenty season. But Konechny's uh, a guy that if he and Torts can get on the same page on and off the ice, I think it's why I think it, him being part of the leadership group is really important because he represents the younger demo of the yeah. leadership group. And I thought that when Giroux was traded last year to Florida, after that, TK's game kind of went to a different gear. And I felt like what he was saying in the media and – and just his presence was a little bit different. He was a little bit, all of a sudden, more mature in a way, on and off the ice. Yeah, I, I think that's I think that that is true. Um, he was one of the go-to guys who would speak about the state of the team on a yeah. not a not an infrequent basis. You know, you, you expect Atkinson to be one of those guys. Katori wasn't available. He was he was injured. Yeah. Um, you know, Hayes does that to to a degree too. But I, I definitely noticed Konechny making some transition towards being part of what the next leadership group will look like. And as you said, as, as a guy who's A, still young enough to relate to the other young players in the line, but B, experienced enough. Uh, I mean, he goes back to, to Haxel. So, yeah, you know, and and, uh, and there, was, there was a real process there, even though there were still elements, you know, to Travis's game that – could use more consistency. There was a, there was a basic overhaul of his entire game that he that he had to do when he first came to the NHL, and it certainly seemed like in the it certainly seemed in the nineteen twenty season he kind of was putting it all together. So yeah, I, I mean I, I think I think it's a tremendous challenge, but a tremendous opportunity for him. So I, I, I think that yeah, this is this is his time. Yeah, it, to, to me it's. If, if he can grab part of that leadership role on this team, and I think he can. Look, he's been a captain. He was a captain in junior. He's been a captain at every other level. So he's used to being a, lead, a team leader and the elements that come with it on and off the ice, not at the NHL level, but um, I think something like that can can dial his focus in even further. So um, we'll see how that plays out. But we still got a bunch of questions. We will get to a bunch more uh, on our next visit, Bill, which is coming up a week from today. Uh, but uh, I, rookie camp. They report on Wednesday, meetings on Wednesday, on the ice Thursday. A couple of rookie games next weekend. I can't believe there's games next weekend. A couple of rookie games at the uh, PPL Center in Allentown, which would be beautiful. And then uh, the whole team will report by the 21st on Wednesday and on the ice for first first practices under John Tortorella coming up on Thursday the 22nd. We're getting there. Everybody, thanks for listening. uh, Bill will join us again next Monday. We'll be back Wednesday with another brand new episode. So have a great Monday. We'll talk to you on Wednesday's brand new Fighters Day.